Hi, and welcome to episode 4 of season 2 of Rambling About Greek Mythology, a lax podcast where I just talk about a lot of Greek mythology. Today, we'll be discussing the famed god Apollo. Like last time with Aphrodite, we'll discuss his origin story, epithets, and lovers in this part 1. We will have a part 2 that will solely focus on the famous stories he's involved in, and then we will finally get to list out all his children, but since the list will be insane and rather significant, we'll wait till part 3 to focus entirely on their stories and their children. So let's just dive right in. So Apollo may be generally considered as the god of youth, music, prophecy, archery, and healing. His Roman name is also just Apollo, actually, which means less names for us. And he tends to be said, by late authors only, um, to have replaced Helios as the sun god, which leads to stories getting mixed up. But for the most part, all the early authors distinguish uh, Helios and Apollo, where Apollo is just a deity of light, brightness, and like radiance, as opposed to the physical sun, which is what Helios is. So yeah, um, that is just something to keep in mind, because sometimes you'll see like the Phaethon story we talked about with Helios, you'll see like Apollo being the father. Um, so stuff like that can occur. So with the general idea of what he is as a deity, let's talk about his birth story. Luckily for us, um, unlike Aphrodite having a couple versions, this one will be a bit more simple. So, uh, the second generation Titanus Leto, daughter of Phoebe and Coeus, slept with Zeus and became pregnant with Apollo and Artemis. Then, Hera, rightfully jealous but also extremely vengeful, chased Leto around all around the world, and near the time to give birth, Leto could not find a land willing to welcome her because they all feared Hera's wrath. Eventually, she came to the island of Ortigia, slash Delos, which got its name from the radiant birth of Apollo, which was her sister Asteria, who had turned into an island, and on that island, Leto waited nine days to give birth, all the while holding a palm tree. The reason she had to wait nine days is because Hera refused to send Elethea, the goddess of childbirth, to help Leto. So, either two, th- two things happened. One, as she waited, eventually all the goddesses, except Hera obviously, sent Iris to Hera to get her to send Elethea, offering a nine cubit, uh, cubit's like a measurement of like, the distance is like four arms, I think it's like a foot and a half is the idea, maybe that's too excessive, I think a foot and a half is like vaguely what it's supposed to be. Um, uh, like so it's a nine cubit long necklace of gold and amber which was apparently enough and then artemis and then apollo were born or two hera had declared no land that had light shine on it could be a place where leto could give birth so zeus had boreas the north wind send the island to poseidon who made some weird arch of water to inhibit the light although in theory if it's just water um, it should still refract and make it onto the land, so maybe they were, like, super, super deep, you know, and then, like, light couldn't just really reach it well enough. Maybe? I don't know. But in the second version, um, Iris was sent to Elethea, actually, offering that same necklace we detailed earlier, and she came down and helped Leto give birth. Either way, uh, there's, like, Post after giving birth, Leto is said to have turned into a she-wolf and fled from Hera, from the land of the Hyperboreans, just super far north people, literally, and came to Lycia, where people refused to give her and her new kids water, so she just turned them into frogs and was like, lol, what now, and just drank her water. So the Lycians were refusing because, you know, the fear of Hera's wrath, but then she was like, 
just snapped and you know they turned into frogs and that was kind of a gg so um fun little fact in the metamorphoses uh in book six there's actually a scene where uh, ovid actually describes this specific instance and it's like the classic question that seems to come up like i've more often than not just told people as a joke when they're competing at least oh if you hear uh in book six of ovid's metamorphoses you should just buzz in and say frogs because i don't know probably they're going to ask who which people did latona leto's roman name turn into frogs and it's like the lycians um or i guess uh, into what did Latona turn the license? But you get the idea. It's just like a funny little thing that occurs way too consistently. So now we can transition into the story of Apollo's glorious youth, having established his birth story. So when Apollo was born, it was said that he that the originally barren island of Delos became covered with golden flowers and circled by swans who flew around the island seven times as it was the seventh day of the month. This type of grand following of nature is a common theme with births of gods. I believe you should see it again with Athena. Um, then he was handed over to Themis, the Titaness, who was like the concept of like law and order, and he was nursed on ambrosia and nectar. Apparently, as soon as he tasted the ambrosia, he became a full-grown youth and demanded a lyre and a bow, and also announced he'd be the god of prophecy via oracles for mankind. Quite the uh, birth story, I believe. When I was given any food, I just probably cried or something. So for this, uh, Apollo was brought to Olympus as the most glorious of Zeus's sons, but his pole game is extremely weak, so honestly questionable how glorious he could really be, considering, you know, Zeus has quite the affairs, although I don't know if it's really pole game as opposed to, like, force game, so don't really know. Um... But yeah, either way, Zeus gave to him a golden mitra, which is just some sort of headgear, a lyre, and a chariot, and told him to go to Delphi. Apparently, before Apollo could go to Delphi, the swans took him to the land of the Hyperboreans, the land beyond Boreas and on the shore of the ocean, and he spent a year receiving respects before he went to Delphi during midsummer. Then, cicadas and nightingales sang to honor him, and the springs were clearer. This arrival of Apollo was an annual tradition of which you can read about in Climacus's Hymn to Apollo. Now, we get into the establishing of an oracle. This is a rather fun part and kind of central part to his establishment as a god of prophecy. So, he spent a while trying to find a suitable place to no avail before he came to some wooded grove in Boeotia where he set up the foundations of a large temple of his. Then, the nymph of a nearby stream slash spring named Telfusa Telfusa or Delfusa, usually Telfusa is just a safer one to go with. I mean, Telfusa and Delfusa, the only difference is like a voicing of that initial consonant, and then Telfusa versus Telfusa is like an aspiration issue. So she told Apollo that the place next to her spring was not the place to set up his temple, as the horses and mules of supplicants would make a lot of noise at the spring while they were ma- while the like supplicants were making offerings and such. This logic worked, and Apollo left to go further north at Crissa, below the glades of Mount Parnassus and Phocis. At this place was an ancient oracle of Gaia, or Gaia and Poseidon, or Themis, or Phoebe, his aunt, which was protected by the female dragon named Python. In some versions of myth, she's actually said to have raised Typhoeus, who we talked about earlier. 
So here, there are various versions as to why he kills Python, either because Python was a guardian who had ended up polluting the realm and submitting to like thieving and stuff, you know, like abusing the power of being the guard, or because she had actually been sent to chase Leto by Hera to prevent her from birthing. So either way, Apollo kills her. Then he establishes the funerary, Pithi funerary Pythian games in honor of him, slaying her, and then established his tripod in the first Pythia named Phenomoi there. After he got the oracle from either Themis or gave Poseidon the island of Calaurea in exchange, he also erected a temple there, sometimes said to have been done by Agamedes and Trophonius, sons of Ereginus. Usually they're said to have just added stuff, um, but he set up this temple with the help of many men before he went back and dried up Telfusa's spring for not telling him of the python. And he further established an altar there to divert worship from her. That is believed to be like the actual reason why is uh, people would honor her at her spring and she didn't want like honors to get diverted to Apollo, but then he just set up an altar and was like, screw you. Now, though he was stuck with this issue of needing to find people and to man and maintain his oracle, he still needed to purify himself of this murder. So he went and purified himself at the Vale of Tempe before he spotted some Cretan ship going towards Pylos, and he jumped on the ship in the form of a massive dolphin. That must be so bizarre, just seeing a dolphin just standing there. And the mariners were utterly shocked and in awe, and their ship was guided by the winds to Delphi, where they became the keepers of his shrine. They also, at his behest, established a shrine to Apollo Delphinus and named the city Delphi. Like, Delphinus, dolphin... Finally, he also established an oracle at the foot of Mount Kynthus on Delos, or Delos, which was equally revered and had a second oracle. Now, with that entire dense beginning of setting up Apollo and, like, you know, his whole beginning story, we can now dive into his many epithets. Unlike Aphrodite, where there are very few and they're all not, like, super significant or super hard to remember, Apollo has a lot of epithets, like, just in general, but there are only a fair amount that I would say are like super necessary to know, but I'm just going to go over like a lot of them. First we have Abias. Um, this was just an epithet since he had a rich temple at the town of Abias and Focus. That's how um, the gods get epithets sometimes. He had Akersekomes. Uh, this was an epithet for his beautiful hair which he never cut. He had Akesius. This was an epithet he was worshipped under an Ellis and was one of the general epithets on him being an averter of evil. Akestor, same idea as the last one, just a general idea of being an averter of evil because, you know, healing god. Uh, Actiacus, it's just an epithet for Actium, being one of his principal places of worship, so kind of similar to Abias. Uh, we have Aiglites, or Aiglites. Uh, this epithet just characterized how radiant he was. If you remember Aiga and like Aigle, uh, you know, the whole idea of like light and radiance is like in that type of Greek word. Then we have the epithet Agrius. This epithet he had obtained after Alcathous killed the Cytheronian lion and established a temple to him with this epithet of the hunter. We have Alexikakos. Note this one. Um, another epithet referring to being an averter of evils, but more specifically, it is related to when he saved Athens from an insane plague they faced in, like, 431 BC, I want to say, or something like that. Or 430. I think that's right. Then we have Amyclius. 
this is just related to the town of Amuclai, which is where the famous Hyacinthus is from. We will talk about him in uh, his stories and his like lovers. Then we have Boidromius. Uh, so he got this epithet either because he helped the Athenians against the Amazons when they fought, because it took place on the seventh day of Boidromion, a month on the Greek calendar, which, notice the seven again, he was also born on the seventh mo uh, day of a month, right? Or he helped uh, the Athenians when they fought against Eumolpus, and he advised them to charge the enemy shouting, Boe. Don't really understand how that was supposed to work. I don't think Boe is exactly exactly the scariest thing. Um, but, you know, maybe. Then we have Carneus. It's a pretty famous epithet. We'll recount this story in a bit more detail uh, in the next episode, but just to summarize it, uh, he either got this epithet in one of two ways. Either because one of the, uh, the soothsayer uh, who he liked got killed by some, like, random guy, and he was really furious and got them to, like, banish the guy, and that's why he got this epithet, or because he just really loved some son of Zeus in Europa named Carnus or Carneus, and he and Leto raised uh, that Carnus slash Carneus. So either way, there's a famous Carnean festival to Apollo that's really big, so maybe that's one to note. Then we have Cynthius, pretty important. He got this from the temple at the foot of Mount Cynthus, which was super sacred and big to him. Also thought that, like, uh, this temp like Kint Mount under Mount Kynthus may be where he was born. Then we have Daphneus, pretty easy to put together, related to the laurel and how it's sacred to Apollo via the Daphne story, which we'll discuss in this episode. Then we have Delius, pretty important, simple to understand, as it's recognized he was born on Delos. Then we have Delphinus, uh, pretty important. We already discussed this, uh, that, you know, the whole dolphin thing. Then we have Epibaterius. This was a name under which Diomedes established a temple to him in Troyzen, po post-Trojan War. It pretty much means of the god who conducts like men on board a ship. Very fancy, very specific. Then we have Epicurus. He got this one because he saved Arcadia from some plague, so every year a wild boar was sacrificed to him on Mount Lycaeus. Then we have Hebdomagates. Not necessarily super important, but it just recognizes how he was sacrificed to on the seventh day of, like, every month, and some seventh day of some month was his birthday. And, like, the whole Hebdo is, like, seven. Then we have Loxias. Um, this is a super important epithet. No one's entirely sure what it means, but it may be related to being a prophet. The, like, etymology is kind of unclear. Then we have Lycius or Lycaeus, or Lysias. Um, super important epithet. He, it's thought to it's thought to be related to him being of the wolves or related to him being the giver of light. There are a bunch of wolves at Delphi that protect the shrines and stuff, so it's a pretty fair possibility. Also relating to how his mom turned into a she-wolf. So there's like a fair amount of like relation that would make it relatively reasonable to think so. Then we have Pion, a uh, super important epithet. It's related to him being a god of healing and also the name of songs to him. There's also like a Pi on like a pion like p-a-e-o-n that is like a uh like the healer for like the olympian gods so sometimes like you know they're like conflated into one person then we have phoebus or poibus um his most important epithet most likely either related to him shining or because his grandmother was named phoebe a lot of the times he's addressed as just phoebus or as phoebus apollo so like it's a pretty common epithet 
Then we have Pythias, notable epithet just relating to him slaying the python. Then we have Smintheus, super important epithet related to the mouse being a symbol of prophecy and prophetic power. With that exhausting list of epithets taken care of, we can now move on to his famous lovers slash pursuits. Some of these will be repeats that we have already discussed before, um, but most of them should be relatively new or a bit more in depth now. First, we have Akakale slash Akakale from uh, the Random Myths Part 1 episode. So we'll summarize again. She was a daughter of Minos and Pasiphae, who Apollo laid with. She first had to flee to the woods to give birth to Miletus to avoid her father's anger. After abandoning him, Apollo had wolves suckle him until shepherds found him. She was also later banished to Libya, where she gave birth to Amphithemis slash Garamas. And she was also said to be the mother of Naxos by Apollo, eponymous of the island. Next, we have Arsinoe. Um, she's just this daughter of Leucippus, this Mycenaean, uh, and in some versions is claimed to be the mother of Asclepius slash Aesculapius. Just depends on your version of the story. Next, we have Cassandra. So Cassandra can also be called Alexandra, um, one of many unsuccessful pursuits for Apollo. And Apollo taught this daughter of Priam and Hecuba the art of divination and hoped to sleep with her. After learning it, she rejected his advances, deciding to stay chaste, so Apollo took away from her the inspiring confidence of an oracle so that no one would trust her. For example, she warned Priam that Paris, her brother going to Sparta would be a disaster, but Priam let him go anyway, then we have the Trojan War, and then we pretty much have more or less the elimination of the Trojan bloodline. So yeah, it's a uh, crossing paths with Apollo, even if you didn't want to, it's, it can end pretty poorly. Then we have Kyone. We've talked about her before, actually, so she's the daughter of Didalion, who, when she reached marriageable age, had an insane number of suitors. One day, this is very rare and I think the only instance that this happens, both Hermes and Apollo planned to lay with her, and Hermes did during the day, and Apollo at night. Apollo laid with her and fathered Philemon. She eventually started bragging she was more pretty than Artemis, because of this whole, you know, both two gods laid with her in one day, leading to her getting killed via arrow by Artemis. This led to Didalion throwing himself off the peak of Parnassus, and he was turned into a hawk by Apollo. Next, we have Coronis, a pretty important uh, story to note and like keep track of. So this episode is depicted in the Metamorphoses, but we'll just talk about it here. So the Epidaurans usually claim her to be the mother of Asclepius slash Aesculapius, and say she was a daughter of King Phlegios, king of the Lapiths, and he either be and she either became pregnant with Aesculapius. Uh, Asclepius on her visit to Epidaurus and then exposed him on Mount Myrtium, where he was discovered by the goat herd Aristhanes. And in this version, um, apparently Aristhanes saw uh, Asclepius and saw lightning shoot from his body and was like, nope. Or, in the more usual version, Coronis, while pregnant with Asclepius slash Aesculapius, laid with the Arcadian or Thessalian Iscus, son of Elatus. And for this insult, either Artemis or Apollo shot her, and then the crow that tattled on Coronis was turned from white to black. At the same time, either Hermes or Apollo saved the baby from the funeral pyre of Coronis and gave him to Chiron, the famous centaur and son of Cronus and Philyra, who taught him the art of healing. So yeah, there's like two versions to know. Aristhanes is like a pretty obscure name that has showed up occasionally, but that is also a different version entirely. Um, 
But yeah, this latter version that I just discussed with the whole cheating with Iscus and stuff is pretty common, and is usually the way it goes, and that's usually the way I believe the Metamorphosy tells it. Then we have Creusa. Creusa is a very common name in Greek mythology, so when you hear there's a Creusa, as you learn more and more, you just really hate hearing there's another Creusa. So she is the youngest daughter of Erechtheus, king of Athens, who is either earthborn or a child of Pandion and Zeuxippi, and uh, Praxithea, daughter of Phrasmus and Diogenea, Diogenea being the child of Cephasus and the river god, or sorry, Cephasus the river god and Liriope. So Erechtheus and Praxithea were the parents of Creusa, and she was married to Zeuthus, son of Helen and Orsaeus, a very famous uh, Iola duo we'll get to talk about eventually, and she was raped by Apollo in a cave under the Acropolis, where she later exposed their child Ion in a basket. And, from there, Ion was brought to Delphi by Hermes. She was childless for a while, until she went to Delphi and reunited with Ion, and then bore to Zeuthus, Achaeus, and Doris slash Diomedes. Usually, though, she is said to have borne Ion as well as his brother Achaeus to Zeuthus, but in some versions, Ion being her child by Apollo fits better which happens a lot too. So like, uh, a lot of people telling stories will just choose which version fits better for them. Because like, I don't know, it's a story. So like maintaining like proper genealogy just didn't matter as much, I guess, was the logic. Next, we have Cyparissus, Cyparissus, Kyparissus, however you want to say it. He was a Cain youth and the son of some Telephus on the island of Chaos, or Chios, I guess is better, like C-E-O-S. He was loved much by Apollo, and in some versions, Zephyrus as well, and occasionally Silvanus, a Roman deity, because he was just that beautiful. So he had this pet stag who was just super dear to him, and he had tamed it, and one day, while the stag was straight up just chilling and sleeping, he killed it with a javelin on accident. I don't know how you have such a bad aim, but he somehow skewers the stag, and he was super grief-stricken, and asked Apollo that he be allowed to mourn forever. So... Apollo turned him into a cypress tree, which is thought to be the tree of sadness. This is just kind of like a little random story, and it also is kind of showing, you know, uh, the duality of Apollo having both male and female lovers. Next, we have Cyrene. So Cyrene, or Kyrene, whichever you want to say it, is actually quite the huntress. Um, she was either a nymph, who is the daughter of King Hypsaeus, king of the Lap Lapiths, and Hypsaeus being the son of Peneus and the river god Creusa, Creusa being an, like Aeneid, or she was just the daughter of Peneus and Creusa directly. She either hunted on Mount Pelion or in the forest under Mount Pindus and protected her father's flocks against the attacks by wild beasts. One day, unarmed, she was attacked by a lion, and she overcame it after quite the fight. When this happened, Apollo actually happened to see her and fell in love with her on the spot. He immediately looked for Chiron to ask him who she was and found out she was the daughter of Hypsaeus. Then, I guess Apollo deemed it like either worthy enough or maybe just like, you know, who cares, okay, Hypsaeus, rando, and took her up in a golden chariot and carried her to Libya, where he slept with her in a golden palace, possibly in the form of a wolf, explaining the cult of Lycian Apollo in Cyrene, and gave her part of the country as her domain, where it would soon be called Cyrene. Cyrene and Apollo produced Aristias, the beekeeping god, and Idmon, a famous seer. In another version, um, after she was brought to Libya, 
Eurypylus, king of Libya and son of Poseidon, gave her the kingdom of Cyrene. Then a lion came and was ravaging Eurypylus's land, and he promised part of his kingdom to whomever could defeat the lion, and Cyrene did, and established her city of Cyrene. In this version, she bore two children, Aristias and Antuchus. So yeah, she's like a pretty important story to know, I would say, one of the more like staple stories of Apollo, but nothing, nothing tops this story. Daphne. Daphne was either an Arcadian girl, a daughter of the river god Peneus, a daughter of the river god Ladon and Gaea, or a daughter of Amyclas. Fond of the hunt and favorite of Artemis, she loved to hunt by the river Ladon with other girls. At the same time, the son of Oenomaeus, king of Elis, had fallen in love with her and grew his hair out, as she did not like men, and claimed he was the daughter of Oenomaeus, named Oino. So his, like, duo name is, like, Leucippus and Oino. So Leucippus is his actual name, but he claimed to be Oino. Due to his slash her prowess in hunting, uh, Daphne and Oino became super close companions, and this made Apollo super jealous because he knew that Oino was not actually a girl. So one day, he had the girls wish to go swim in the river Ladon, and Oino slash Leucippus refused under some pretext, and they playfully stripped them and realized he was a guy, and then all the girls killed him with their spears. Then comes Apollo's tribulations. Eros slash Cupid was angry with Apollo as Apollo had told him to leave archery to men. So, Eros slash Cupid shot him with a gold-tipped arrow making him fall for Daphne super hard and shot Daphne with a lead-tipped arrow to make her reject his advances super hard. Then, Apollo chased Daphne through the woods and she prayed to either Zeus, Gaia, or Peneus to save her from his advances to uphold the virginity her father had promised to her and she got turned into a laurel tree. Then, Apollo just being the weirdest person he is, broke off a branch and wore the laurel wreath around his head, which is why it's sacred to him. That's just so disturbing. But yeah, Apollo is quite the uh, L of a person. Next, we have Deophobe. Deophobe is known as the Cumaean Sibyl. She has two versions, one very simple, or one super complicated version I think I've maybe seen once. So she was a Sibyl at Cumae in Italy, and Apollo had fallen in love with her. He promised to grant her anything, and she pointed to a heap of sand and asked to live as many years as there were grains in the heap. She forgot to ask for youth at the same time, as many people seemingly somehow do, and she was screwed. But, but, she refused to give up her virginity to be granted the youth that she had forgotten to ask for, and just became a super, super, super old Sibyl that leads Aeneas to the underworld and through it all, which we will detail in Book 6 of the Aeneid when we get there. Version 2. Way more complicated, way more just like, what is happening? Um, but yeah. So she was originally from Erythrae in Lydia, no idea where that means geographically, and was the daughter of Theodorus and some nymph. She was said to have been born in a cave on Mount Corticus. After her birth, she grew suddenly and began to prophesy in verse. Or prophesy? Prophecy? I don't know. While she was young, against her own will, she was dedicated to Apollo. And she actually predicted that she'd be killed by an heir of Apollo. She lived the lives of nine men, each 110 years, so about 990 years. Seemingly weird, not just closer to a thousand, they would say. Anyways, 
She's sometimes also known as Amalthea or Demophile, uh, which are both pretty interesting, and I wonder why the name variation exists. Either way, Apollo then came to her and gave her as many years to live as grains of sand, which is why she lived so long, and uh, specifically as many grains she could hold in her hand if she were not to return to Erythrae. But, as last uh, version went, she forgot to ask for youth and refused to give up her virginity for it. Because of this, instead of being in Erythrae, she ends up in Cumae. In one subversion, uh, people from Erythrae sent her a letter with the seal made from the earth of their country, and seeing it, she died. Which is probably the more peaceful version, version because otherwise, she aged and became smaller and wiser till she ended up looking like a cicada and was hung up in a cage like a bird in the temple of Apollo at Cumae. Children would ask her what she wants, and she would reply wearily and honestly just so sadly, like, to die. Um, she's said to have come to Rome during the reign of Tarquinius Superbus. I'm not sure how this math lines up and, like, where all this stuff goes on, but I guess if the monarchy ends in 5, oh, like, 509 or 510 BC, and the Trojan War allegedly occurred somewhere 1200 uh, BC then maybe she was born like 1400? I don't really understand when when in her life she comes here. But anyways, she's said to have come to Rome during the reign of Tarquinius Superbus, the seventh and final king of Rome, to sell her nine collections of prophecies. But they were deemed too expensive, so she burned three and came back and tried to sell six. It was rejected again, so she burned three more. And finally, somehow, I don't know if it was like a price now, like the price was fine, or like Superbus realized he was an idiot, um, purchased the last three books, and then she just completely disappeared, and he put them in the Temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus on the Capitoline Hill. So yeah, that second version super complicated, super convoluted personally. Don't really know um, how true the connection is to Kumai, but that is a fair possibility, and like, I guess it kind of works out with the story. So yeah, next, I guess we should move on from that extremely long story to a much shorter story. We have Hecuba. So her parentage is really weird. Um, that's what makes her kind of hard, like hard to re remember. But she's pretty simple in terms regards to Apollo. So she was either the daughter of Dimos, a king of Phrygia, by the nymph Eunoe, making her a grand great granddaughter of the river god Singarius, or she was the daughter of Singarius and Evagora, or she was the daughter of Cisseus, a king of Thrace, and Telechaea. Or, she was the daughter of some Glaucippi, um, daughter of Xanthus. Not sure by who, though, Glaucippi is said to have mothered Hecuba. Either way, she's said to have been the mother of Troilus by Apollo. We will discuss him in two episodes. Next, we have Hyacinthus, another very, very famous story of Apollo. He was a son of Amyclos, king of Sparta, and son of Lacad... Uh, and So he was a son of Amyclos, who was a king of Sparta, and he was a son of... Lacedaemon and Sparta, so you can Lacedaemon and Sparta are both very ancient names to Sparta, and Amyclas and Diomede uh, were the parents of Hyacinthus, or Hyacinthus was the son of Pieris by Cleo, the muse of history. Yeah, sorry, parentage is just so complicated with some of these people, and like you need to note their parents to have better connections. So yeah, sorry about that. Sometimes he's said to be the son of Oibalus, 
another person. Anyways, we can move on from the parentage. So, he was loved by the bard Thamaris, son of Phil Philemon and Argiope. I believe this Philemon is the Philemon son of Kyone uh, and Apollo, but don't quote me on that. And uh, this Thamaris loving uh, Hyacinthus made him the first man to love another man. He was also loved by Apollo and possibly by Zephyrus. One day, Apollo accidentally killed Hyacinthus by casting a, dicus, a discus, which ricocheted off the ground and smashed his head when he was trying to retrieve it, or Zephyrus caused it to fly back and kill Hyacinthus out of jealousy for Hyacinthus and Apollo's relationship. From his blood came the Hyacinth, which was, which was said to have the symbols of lament, the I-I, like Alpha Iota Alpha Iota, on it. Apollo had it decreed that there would be a festival called the Hyacinthia or Hyacinthia at Hyacinthus's tomb in Amyclae. It's pretty nice for, you know, killing him. Next, we have Manto. Manto was the daughter of Tiresias, the famous Theban seer. She was said to have been chosen by the victorious Epigone, a story we will discuss later, to be the finest prize in dedication to Apollo, as they had promised him that before. Thence, she ended up in Delphi. She then was directed by Apollo to found a colony called Claros, Claros in Asia Minor, and sometimes she's said to have bore the famous seer Mopsus to Apollo, as opposed to the usual Cretan Rachius, whom she married when she came to Asia Minor. Pretty short story, Mopsus is a really big deal, so it's good we'll get to cover him in two episodes. Next, we have Marpessa. Marpessa, probably the, like, easiest off person. Um, she was the daughter of Evanus, Evanus being a son of Ares and Demonice, Demonice being a daughter of Agenor and Epicosta, or uh, Sterope, the Pleiad, so like Ares and Demonice or Ares and Sterope, and Marpessa, more specifically, was the daughter of Evanus and Demonice, so sometimes Demonice is not her father's mother, but rather her mother complicated. She was allegedly, Marpessa that is, wooed by Apollo, but Idas, son of Apharius and Irene, or just some of some Amphiaraeus, carried her off in a winged chariot given to him by Poseidon. Apollo chased them, and they were about to fight until Zeus split them up and decided to let Marpessa choose between them. She decided to choose Idas, fearing that Apollo would abandon her in old age, which was very, very wise. And apparently, while Idas left with her, Evanus chased them as far as he could before he gave up and threw himself into the river like Kormos, after which it became known as the River Evanus. Fun little story for why rivers are named a certain way. Next, we have Phthia, like P-H-T-H-I-A. She, by Apollo, is just said to have borne Doris, Laudacus, and Polypoietes. We'll get to talk about them in two episodes. Um, they don't really have a ton of significance, but they are children of Apollo nonetheless. Next, we have Procleia. Procleia also, um, she by Apollo said to possibly be the uh, mother of Tenes, king of Tenedos. So like, yeah, or I guess Apollo more specifically is more likely to be the father of Tenes, king of Tenedos, whom Achilles kills and starts off his whole disastrous uh, fate to die at Troy. So we'll get to talk about Tenny's in more depth when we get there. Next, we have Royo. 
So Royo has a pretty complicated story. Um, she was the daughter of Staphylus, who was a son of Dionysus and Ariadne, and Chrysothemis. She also had a sister um, named Parthenos, who was uh, possibly a daughter of Chrysothemis and Apollo, actually, as opposed to just being a child of Staphylus and Chrysothemis. And Royo had two other sisters, or just one other sister, who is either named Mulpadia or Hemetheia. So when this guest named Lyrkus visited uh, Royo's home, she and her sister Hemetheia slash Mulpadia fought over who would be his mistress, but Staphylus chose Royo to lay with him. Then, either by Zeus or Apollo, she was impregnated, and her father thought she was impregnated by a mortal man and not an immortal, so he cast her in a chest into the sea, and she flooded to Delos or Euboea. This casting someone into a chest into the sea is an unfortunately un not uncommon uh, story, or like version of how things go. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. We'll encounter that in some other really famous stories later. There at Delos slash Euboea, she gave birth to Aeneas, Aeneas, A N I U S, and dedicated him to Apollo on the steps of his temple, and he took him in. She then married a mortal named Zarex, kind of like Xertex, I guess is how you spell it, but it's Zarex, son of Charistus and grandson of Chiron, and Zarex learned the music of Apollo and later adopted Aeneas. Just a nice little closing to that little story. Next, we have Sinope. Uh, she was one of the daughters of Asopus, a river god who was a son of Oceanus and Tethys. In one version, her name's also Daphne and she was carried away by Apollo to a place where a city gained her name, and then she bore to, bore to him a child named Cyrus, or Cyrus, who was the eponym of the Syrians and king of them. The more usual story is that she duped Apollo, Zeus, and Halys, or Halys, Halys, I don't know how you're going to say it, it's like a river, H-A-L-Y-S, and asked for a wish before she lay with them and told them all she wanted to remain a virgin pretty big brain play in my opinion she literally would be like okay okay before we do anything can you grant me one wish and they're like you know so drunk with lust and they're like yes anything anything she's like i want to remain a virgin and it's like what and then they get outplayed so yeah i think that's pretty legendary honestly she does that to not one not two but three people come on that that's pretty big brain or they're just stupid i don't know one of the two then we have thalia Thalia, being the muse of comedy, uh, is possibly said to have been the mother of the Corybantes by Apollo, a group of demons who formed part of Bacchus's like traveling caravan he had. We'll get to talk about them more in two episodes. They're actually pretty interesting. Finally, on this long-winded list of lovers of Apollo, Urania. Urania, being the muse of astronomy, is said to have possibly been the father of or sorry, mother of Orpheus and Linus by Apollo, but usually it's attributed to Oeagrus and Calliope, muse of epic poetry. But because of, you know, this possible parentage, we will get to detail two very famous musicians in two episodes from now, so that's good. With all of that being said, we have now completed part one of Apollo. It is an extremely dense uh, section. Apollo just is naturally that way due to all the lovers all the epithets and stuff but it is not over by any notion because next episode we will go over his famous stories that will help us get a better like idea of who this god is and you know better characterize him
as always, thank you so much for listening. I hope it was educational, fun, interesting, and not too dry as always. If you have any comments, questions, suggestions, concerns, or complaints, you have my email. Otherwise, I'll see you next time in episode 5, which will deem Apollo Part 2, where we will now talk about his famous stories. Other than that, I hope to see you next time. Take care. Thank you.